Would you please pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time we have over these next couple weeks to give our Kid Cat leaders a break. And we gather as a whole family in your church. And we pray that as we get into your word as a family today, you would just continue to warm our hearts to the reality of your grace and truth for years to come because of your great love for us in Jesus. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The adults, please be seated. If you're in grades kindergarten through fifth grade, I invite you up front with me and Miss Kim. So come on up, have a seat, get yourself some goldfish, because we believe in snacks here at Christ Church West Shore, and have a seat right here in front of me. Hey, guys, have a seat. Have a seat. All right. How's your week going? Did you have a good week? You start school? School cool, thumbs up, thumbs down, thumbs up, thumbs up, halfway. All right, I'm with you, I'm with you. We all got it. It takes a while to kind of get used to it. And this is going to be a little different for you for this week and next week because we're giving the leaders a break, um, a well-deserved break of just coming along. So we're going to do this. If I were to take you back, if we were to hop into a time machine back to an Anglican church 150 years ago, there was no such thing in the church worship service of children not being part of it. There was no kid cat. You might come to Sunday school, and then you'd stay for the big church, all right? So this is, while it's different today in 2022, this is not without the church having done this before. So what are we doing here over these next couple weeks? Number one, it asks, begs the question, what, what do we do? You can, you can open those if you want. You can eat them if you want. You don't have to. I'm just, just saying. Um, when we gather as God's people in the church, we come together on the Lord's Day, Sundays, which is the day where we don't do any work. We gather together as God's people to, number one, hear the word, two, to come together and come to the Lord's table, all right? And receive communion. And when you're confirmed, you'll be able to receive communion. And then we minister to one another and others on Sundays as the Lord gives us opportunity. That's what the Lord's Day is about. And so when you guys are in the big church with us, don't think that there isn't something for you in the sermon. There's something for everybody in God's word, all right? So because of you and your parents perhaps not being used to you sitting next to them in the service, we've shortened the sermon a little, all right? Number one. And number two, I want you guys to listen. And Miss Kim's going to give you, as you guys go back to sit with your parents, some activity. Clipboard. What's in that? What's in that, Kimmy? And so, parents, if they wiggle, it's okay. If they, you know, make noises, it's okay. Don't make noises, all right? You're old enough not to. But, but, <laughs> but, but babies make noises. 
And we welcome babies, right? I mean, the whole point is to be a healthy intergenerational church, we take people where they are on their journey, all right? And that includes our, our little ones who we made a covenant before God to raise under the blood of Jesus together. So I'm going to preach a sermon, and I want you to listen. Is there something the Lord wants to share to you as you listen to the sermon and doodle on your doodle pad, color, break out the coloring thing and color the pages, which Miss Kim has for you, that are directly along with this sermon? Because that's what happens. I encourage you and your family to go on the God hunt every Sunday. What is the God hunt? We used to do that when my grown adult kids were your age. We would ask the kids at Sunday dinner, how did God speak to you? Either in the sermon or the Bible being read out loud or through a hymn or a song we sang. The Lord wants to speak to us. If we have soft hearts to receive it, he will. You know God's speaking when you learn something new. Ah, I never thought of that before. A light bulb goes off in your head learning something. Your heart is warm to the reality of Jesus' love for you. Holy Spirit's speaking to you, okay? You can share that. Number one, how did God speak to you? Number two, how did God speak through you? Meaning, how can we minister to one another? Maybe it's opening a door for one of our older parishioners. Maybe it's helping somebody get a cup of coffee or, or sharing a donut. There's one more donut. Don't take it. Let's, let somebody else take it. You see what I'm saying? Okay? We serve one another because that's what makes us different from the world. Okay? So those two questions. How did God speak to you? How did God speak through you? And you can share that for after lunch. Okay? So at this time, I'm going to dismiss you back to your seats with your parents. And Miss Kim's going to give you your, your packets if you haven't finished your goldfish, help yourself. Take it. Don't take any more. You, know, you don't want to spoil your Sunday lunch. All right? And uh, you guys are dismissed. And then I'm going to preach the sermon, okay? We're so glad you guys are here. Welcome. Good to see you. As our children uh, go back to their seats, I just want to, first of all, thank all of you for your prayers and concerns. Um, it wasn't just the finality of my mom dying that hit us so hard. It was just the vast uh, dealing with uh, family dynamics, um, having to go through a home with a person and a father who never threw anything away. Why do you need five percolators? Three of which do not work. All right? Every closet we'd open up and we'd just weep because there were clothes going back to 1930. Okay? I mean, it was... It was and it was hard because everything screamed Annie Sherman, all right? A lot of fun, too. Pictures that I saw of my mom. I shared one with June. I never saw that picture. A picture of my mom. I never saw my mom when she was younger. You know, I always viewed my mom as kind of an old woman. 
I looked at these pictures, no wonder my dad fell in love with her. She was beautiful, she was smart, she was witty, and if you've ever had a conversation with her, you know what I mean. She was great. So thank you for your prayers. I felt them. And I especially want to thank our brother Scott for walking through Romans 10 and 11 for us. Man, thank you, my brother. You know, what a blessing it was. I was jealous. I took you guys through the hard parts, and he got the fun parts, you know. I was so looking forward to sharing that with you. And uh, just thank you, uh, Katie, for loaning him to us. And Winter, you guys are the best. We appreciate you guys. also want to thank our bishop, because I got a call the day that I learned about this. I was at George Hampy, my son-in-law's mother's wedding, when we got news that my mom had died. And uh, I called, you know, Bob Minimus and the bishop just to let them know this is what I'm dealing with. And, and I, I reached out to Scott, and I reached out to Sean Templeton, and I reached out to Bishop. I go, I'm going to need coverage, guys. And the vestry, graciously, I've, I informed them six, six months ago that this is coming. And Bishop Mark said, Gene, what can I do? What can I do for Christ Church? Do you need me to come? I can come August 7th. I said, actually, that's perfect because Scott can't be here August 7th. See the sovereignty of God? You know? And he dropped another church to be with you because he loves Christ Church. He loves the ministry we have. And so what an honor it is to be in our diocese. So therefore, today, I just said, we're going to do the lectionary. And we're going to do a gospel reading in Luke that I've never preached through before. So I encourage you to open up your Bibles with me. Because we're going to learn as we're in the season of Pentecost and we're on mission to be salt and light. Showing people our gentle and lowly Savior. Because that's not what our neighbors think about Jesus at all. And so this is a wonderful mission text that tells us how we might be such a people. So you first have to look at this amazing standard in the middle of the passage. Jesus turns to the host and he says, also, verse 12, to the man who had invited him. Well, who had invited him? Verse 1, he went to dine at the house of a ruler of the Pharisees. They were watching him carefully. All right. It says that there were guests and they were picking places of honor at the table. All right. This was a typical supper in which people were trying to sit as close to the host as possible. Jesus says to this crew and to that man, he goes, when you invite people to your parties, don't invite your friends or brothers or relatives or rich neighbors. Well, that's who's there. He's, he's saying to them, when you throw a party, don't invite these people. All right? Now, you need to understand that the Greco-Roman world had operated on a patronage system. Patronage, boys and girls, means supporter. You know? It, it isn't, it's still going on even today, and the patronage system went like this. In every community, there were certain prominent, wealthy individuals. And if you wanted to improve your station in life, to, to move up at all, 
you had to make one of those people your patron. If that person was your patron, that person might give you loans, gifts, open doors for you, and then you were part of their network. And patrons had favorites in their network. And a favorite was somebody who got favors from the patron. The patron's network of favorites meant that patron could get a lot of things done in that community because of all these people who owed him, you would do things for the patron. The patron always got breaks on things. That's how things got done back then. The, the favorites would grease the slides, if you will. Political favors, that kind of thing. So when you had this couple, this, this type of supper, rather, rather uh, the people were always trying to network at the suppers. You would throw these suppers and they would try to get new relationships so I could further myself in the community. Trying to meet new patrons. You're trying to move up the ladder. Therefore, the people who came to supper were extremely important for you. If you had a rich neighbor, you had to have people at least at your level of society or better. Because of that, these weren't just parties. They were extremely important to the culture. And they were extremely expensive, but that's okay because eventually you got it all back because of the way it went. The party paid for itself. It was expensive, fun, festive, and it paid off in the long run. And so that was the system. So Jesus comes to this party and has the audacity to say, when you give a lunch or a dinner, don't invite your friends or brothers or relatives or rich neighbors. In other words, don't invite the people you just invited. In other words, he's showing us what, how his people are to live socially in our culture today, even. Here's how we live in the kingdom. First, we're people of great humility. Two, we're people of, who care for the needs, and we enfold them in. And three, we do all that out of the motivation for a better day. Let's look at this. First, we're people of humility. Verse 10, very famous passage, but when you're invited, go and sit at the lowest place so that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. Then you'll be honored in the presence of all who sit at table with you. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Humility is our characteristic. The opposite of humility is pride. And therefore, we have to make sure that we are not prideful people. A Christian can't be prideful because a Christian understands that Jesus truly humbled himself for us. See, you have to understand the bad news first so you can understand the good news. The bad news is that in his presence, we're not righteous. We are, each and every one of us, 100% sinful. And the latest surveys, even this past year, in the church is that a bunch of American people who express themselves as Christians do not believe that. They don't believe that they're sinful. They think, yeah, nobody's perfect, but I do some good things, and those count, right? 
Yet the revelation of God reveals that God is merciful. He does not want to punish us, 1 John 4, 8. But he's also just. He must punish sin. For when the Bible describes the holiness of God in Exodus 34, 7, God can't even look upon it. He's so holy. And so we need a rescue. And it's God who provided it for us in Jesus Christ. Jesus came and died in our place. And a belief in that grace has always been a distinguishing character, not only in the word, but in his people throughout the centuries. And it creates in us humility. It's a characteristic that is within the reach of every follower of Jesus Christ. We all can strive to be humble people. The person who knows Christ and the price that he paid to redeem us can never be a prideful person. He will cry out like Paul, I am the worst of sinners, considering others better than himself, Philippians 2.3. When you encounter a professing Christian who is prideful, it's only out of cheerful ignorance. The Christian is never more at risk when he or she sees him or herself as the solution bearer. Oh, we can go do this, they say. Ignoring going to the Lord in prayer. Going to the Lord's word. Seeking the Lord first before we make decisions and so forth. No. Let us not be so prideful in anything we do. But remember that it's the Lord. We, we must always confess, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. And drive that deep confession to work its way into our souls so that we can stand before a prideful world because that's what that's the world's way not ours and we have great models in church history to show us that 21st century disciples exhibit humility secondly there's a posture of care that we have for others jesus points this out in verse 13 But when you give a feast, he's looking at the host, the Pharisee right now, when he's having this conversation. Can you imagine this? But when you host a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind. Now, at first sight, when you hear that or you read that, it looks like he's saying, don't ever have your friends over. Don't ever have your family over. Well, it's an idiom. An idiom is an expression that makes sense to people inside the language, but when it's translated to another language, it doesn't translate real well, so we just follow it, you know, literally, at face value. Well, Jesus uses idioms often. He says later on in Luke, you must hate your father and mother. So does that mean he tosses out the Ten Commandments to honor your father and mother? No. He doesn't say to toss out the Ten Commandments. What he's saying is as a matter of priorities. That next to your love in your father and mother is nothing compared to your love for me. And next to loving your family and friends are those around you which have various needs that need to be invited into your fellowship, into your community. One of the great things that I I noticed in my mom's pictures were pictures of her 
entertaining in the 50s. I mean, she was stunning. And, you know, it was the 50s. When they had a, a party, they threw a party. And my, part, my neighborhood's Christmas party was at my house. And we served Chatham Artillery Punch. And Chatham Artillery Punch, if you snuck a few drinks of it when you were eight, you're not, you're not going anywhere. <laughs> I know. <laughs> All right? And here's my mom in this beautiful Christmas dress with the china out, with the, with the brass candlesticks, and just a side of her that I never saw. When it says invite these kind of people, he's not talking about entertainment. Jesus is just talking about enfolding people into our lives. You don't have to add one more thing to your schedule. There's an empty seat at your table. Invite them over. You're going out for coffee at the workplace. Hey, can I grab you a cup of coffee? A Coke? It just flows naturally because we're humble people. We're willing to meet the needs. That person who just needs an ear because they're struggling. That person who lost their job or are underemployed. People because you're a follower who can never pay you back, including those within the church and outside the church. It's about changing our priorities, always asking the Holy Spirit to reveal the needs around us and being open to enfold people into our lives. Third, we do all this, our motivation is because we're looking forward to a new day. Notice what he says the reward is in verse 14. And you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. Jesus reminds those at this table that there's going to come a day when the dead will be raised, a physical resurrection, a physical eternity. 1 Thessalonians 4.16 states that at God's trumpet call, the dead in Christ shall rise. The dead in Christ shall rise. And we'll be in his presence forever. And Revelation 21 and 22 describe this scene where the whole church throughout the ages is seated at the wedding supper of the Lamb. <laughs> a physical eternity, friends, and a new earth. That's what we have to look forward to. I often say it. I'll have hair. <laughs> I'll have a new knee. <laughs> it's not getting better. Not in this life. No, my friends, we have a great hope. So we hold on to that reality and we never let it go. That keeps us humble. That keeps us open to caring for people with needs around us. Does that frighten you? Uh, what will enable you to look forward to that day without alarm? Placing your trust in Jesus Christ is the only way to look forward to that day because our sins will not appear against us. We'll be clothed in his righteousness and we will stand firm on that great day where nobody will be able to lay any charge against us. That's what we have in Christ. 
I invite you to look forward to that day with us. And the world will always think we're crazy. <laughs> they always have. They always will. But we rejoice. And in all our interactions with others, in every situation, we can choose the humble way, considering others more important than ourselves, even if they do think we're crazy. I know it's counterintuitive, but it's the proper vision of the way God uses his kingdom as modeled by Jesus himself. God is opposed to the proud and loves to bless the humble, James 4, 6. And he's faithful to lift us up in his own timing. This day is coming. At the end of the last battle, the children are gathered with Aslan in the new Narnia. And Lewis closes the, the whole series with these words. And as Aslan spoke, he no longer looked to them like a lion. But the things that began to happen after were so great and beautiful that I cannot even write them. And for us, this is the end of all the stories, and we can most truly say that they all lived, all the children lived happily ever after. But for them, it was only the beginning of the real story. All their life in this world and all their adventures in Narnia had only been the cover and the title page. Now at last, they were beginning chapter one of the great story which no one on earth has read, which goes on forever, in which every chapter is better than the one before. Let us rejoice, brothers and sisters, being humble, kind, generous, looking forward to our glorious future. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're grateful that you give us this wonderful Holy Spirit-filled posture of humility generosity to those with needs around us, reminding us that the world as it is today will not always be. There will be a day of resurrection, and we look forward to that day. And so, Lord, we pray that you would pour out your Spirit upon us, that we would just rejoice in that coming reality, and in this present kingdom of yours, we may be instruments of your blessing to one another, and any others whose needs you bring across our path this year so that we truly would be salt and light like never before. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen.